Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the Foul Life Podcast Midwest Series. I'm your host, Joel Clayfish, located and coming to you from the Midwest, Wisconsin nestled between the great Mississippi River, the Great Lakes, and more inland lakes than Minnesota. Yes, they have it on their license plate, but we do have more. You know, I know I say that a lot, but I guess that's probably why we have such an incredible waterfowl situation in the state of Wisconsin. And I'm telling you, the Canada geese, when I was growing up, it was so rare. My parents would point out the window, look, look, a Canada goose. That's a Canada goose. I think they called them Canadian geese even sometimes, but uh, they're Canada geese and you'd see one rarely. Now, We've got a flourishing population, and it's fantastic to get out there and hunt them. We've seen our daily bag limits increase. It's just been phenomenal. Somebody who is a legend in his own mind, I mean a legend in the state of Wisconsin, who has really been part of developing the waterfowl, not only the culture in the state of Wisconsin, but the waterfowl um, attitude and laws and bag limits and habitat and everything that has to do with waterfowl is a good friend of mine. I like to call him a good friend. I don't know if he'd say the same, but I think so. Uh, Mark Kakich is on the podcast with us today, an absolute legend. Uh, I used to always say he doesn't look as old as he is, but he's starting to look as old as he is. Mark Kakich, thanks for coming on the podcast today. You, you eat, sleep, live, breathe waterfowl. You are the godfather of waterfowl in the state of Wisconsin, and you've worked on just about everything that has to do with waterfowl. Great to have you today. Thanks, Joel. Great to be here today. Appreciate the time. What was it, you know, in your life? First off, how old are you? 53. You're 53 years old. Okay, so we're about the same age. I just turned 51. The difference is you have literally been involved with waterfowl your entire life. Uh, how did you get into it in the first place? And why did it grab your heart the way it did? Why did it become such a passion for you? Well, I grew up in Milwaukee and Bayview. And growing up in the city, you, you don't have an everyday appreciation necessarily for the country and the opportunities for me I, I enjoyed hunting and fishing uh, and growing up in the city fishing wasn't so bad because I had Lake Michigan a stone's throw away from where I grew up and in the fall I was able to hunt on Lake Michigan but my family uh, comes from uh, the Oconomowoc area so our hunting was basically you know, out by the local lakes, Waukesha, you know, Nagawick, Upper, Lower, Namab, and Crooked, et cetera. And then, you know, we spent a lot of time up in and around the world famous uh, wetland of international importance, Horicon Marsh. So I felt very spoiled that, you know, I was able every weekend and every now and then dad would take me out of school and, you know, in the fall. And we got to spend time watching the magnificent goose migration because out in Waukesha where you see thousands and thousands of geese right now growing up you know when you saw a goose you pretty much waved, waved the flag and jumped up and down and you had to check yourself going was it really a goose so I you know that's how times have changed why is it changed why did we go from having virtually no Canada geese here to flourishing Canada goose population well I think as we change you know cultures change, diversity in landscape, uh, human expansion. And I think 
you know, the introduction again of the giant Canada goose has changed the goose or the Canada goose footprint across the country where before, you know, we really didn't have a goose population outside of Horicon during migration. Now we have a 72 county goose population 12 months out of the year. Talk to me for a minute about the Horicon Marsh. The Horicon Marsh is no doubt a mecca in the United States. You know, you hear about places like Stuttgart and some of these destination hunting places. And I think as far as Wisconsin and frankly the Midwest gets kind of not overlooked but looked at less intent intensely from waterfowl hunters because it's not necessarily always seen as a go-to spot for waterfowl hunting but the reality of it is we've got a flyway here that is unique to the world uh, and those uh, birds many of those birds are coming right from Canada dumping right over into Wisconsin Minnesota Michigan and they seem to funnel here and I think the Horicon Marsh is really it's 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 a mecca and i don't think everybody knows that and some of that's good and some of it's bad but that that is just miles and miles of essentially perfect habitat but it's not by coincidence the habitat's perfect this is an area that you hunt but you've been working on as a volunteer and as an expert for dozens of years how did the horicon marsh develop into this draw for waterfowl a draw that has expanded so much that we went from extremely specific limits in the horicon marsh to now eliminating the zone for the horicon marsh and letting anybody hunt it with the regular bag limits well i think like i said before times have changed uh the goose migration has changed where before you know growing up you saw three quarters of the entire mississippi valley goose population migrate through horicon where now it's you know you're lucky to get a peak migration throughout the year of you know about 50,000 roughly and there's some years when you don't even break 30,000 so having that 72 county giant you know Canada or temperate goose Canada population is is significant to the change of the the goose flyway per se for the horicon area is it fair to say or is it even possible to say that man mankind made a difference uh is it is it possible? I mean, you have people on one extreme who say, don't light a match and because the world's going to be 104 degrees tomorrow. And then on the other side, you got people who say, no matter what I do, it doesn't affect the environment. Now, as with most, most things and most debates, the truth is somewhere in the middle. But has the effort that people like you and others have put into the Horicon Marsh, has it changed it in a way? Have human beings had a positive effect on the marsh and on the flyway? Not only do or has human beings uh, made the significant change, but I think people need to understand that the hunting community has made the significant change on the footprint. So Horicon's a perfect example. Many people don't realize that the federal refuge of Horicon is funded almost 99% by federal duck stamp dollars. So that means everybody who purchases a federal duck stamp almost 99 cents to 98 to 99 cents of that purchase goes back to habitat conservation. Think about that for just a minute. What does that mean? That means hunters, people who are going out there to try to get their bag and, and put dinner on the table, they're the ones paying for this. I think very 
often the the side that doesn't like hunting or disapproves of hunting doesn't understand the hunters are paying for it. We're the guys paying for it. We're the guys uh, doing habitat restoration. We're the conservationists. We're the truest conservationists out there. So I just did a talk for the Urban Ecology Center, and it was based on duck hunting and birding and the importance of the combination. And one of the folks that was attending this seminar asked, you know, why is it that hunting is so important. They didn't understand that, you know, when they go for a canoe ride or a kayak trip or when they go birding, that they they think that their ta- tax dollars really pay for these places. And that that is not the case. And our own Department of Natural Resources is a perfect example where if you look at GPR money used for, you know, uh, Department of Natural Resource projects and and funding, it's rough. It's it's under a hundred thousand dollars. So again, it's hunters, fishermen, and and women and trappers that are carrying the burden and who are also giving the opportunity for those hiking, canoeing, kayaking, you know, to enjoy our outdoor areas. Yes. So the Horicon Marsh has been this area that is, it's always attracted birds and waterfowl, but now there is no Horicon zone. So you can hunt as many bag of the regular bag limit of, of ducks and geese in the Horicon zone. How's that changed the face of hunting? So hunting is much more spread out here in the state. So, you know, growing up before, as I said, that, you know, a huge piece of the Canada goose harvest came from the Horicon zone, you know, basically three counties and that, you know, they killed more geese in three counties than they did in the entire rest of the state. You know, I have been remiss here. I, I, I forgot to, in your introduction to talk about the like one of the coolest things ever. I think you were you were the the state duck calling champion, uh, in what was it 1947? Yeah, 1947. No, <laughs> 1997. 1997 oh. duck calling champion, and that that was in an era when you know duck calling was really exploding. I mean, really coming onto the scene. Uh, you're out there and, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter this contest. Obviously, you had done some contests before, but how did you get into duck calling and what? how did it become such an important thing to you? Well, you know, in Wisconsin has very deep roots in waterfalling history from Koshkanon to Horicon to the Winnebago chain, Lake Michigan and the Mississippi River. But one of the things that we, we really don't have here is a great emphasis on waterfall calling and one of the best ways to be more um i guess successful in your hunt is if you're proficient with a duck or a goose call that will significantly increase your opportunity to bag something now you have jokingly told me the best uh, duck call is the one that's left in the car. You've said that to me before because I think sometimes people underestimate the importance of scouting, uh, decoy setup, and the hide. I mean, the hide for me, who's n- I'm not a phenomenal goose or duck caller. I can I can squawk on them a little bit enough to turn their heads from time to time, but I think people kind of overlook those parts of it. I kind of look at calling. I think calling is like you can have the greatest cake in the world. You can love chocolate or marbled cake. And if you don't have good frosting on the cake, the cake's not worth eating. And I, I think that calling to me is the frosting of hunting. And 
that's really where the dynamic of, of your cake comes to life is in the frosting. Okay. I'm overdoing the analogy, but to you, did you see calling as something that was meant to turn ducks, meant to make ducks comfortable? How did it first introduce itself to you and why did you click onto it so um, steadily and, 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 put such effort into it that you ended up the champion well it was two pieces one you know growing up i'd watch my dad hit the duck call and you know we always had a little little bit better luck when he picked up the duck call so you know the other piece to that is getting involved with hunting i found it to be a 12-month sport because I was able to work on duck or goose calling all 12 months, you know, waterfall identification, you can work all 12 months. You know, I make my own decoys, my paddles and such where it's, it's a lifelong passion now, not just two or three months of, of hunting and picking up that duck call, you know, growing up, you had to look for in the Cabela's or Gander Mountain catalog or, you know, such to where you could pick up a cassette tape and then eventually it went to, a, you know, maybe a VHS tape or a CD. And, and people listening to this podcast are, are asking themselves, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> What's a CD? Right. But now, I mean, you can go to you know, YouTube or online and, and you can get great instruction for from the world's best of the best teaching you how to, to blow a duck call, you know, to blow a goose call. And that I think is, is really what has increased, help increase the popularity of waterfall hunting, especially for the younger generations. You've, I've had you, I've been around you when you've blown the jargon megaphor and it, literally sounds like you're sitting in a field listening to other ducks talk. I mean, it's unbelievable. And and you told me, you said, this is the only call. This is the only call you'll ever need the rest of your life. The jargon megaphor. So what, what, what is it about that call? And what is it about that uh, ease of use or that call or the sound that comes from that call that makes you say something like that? Well, if you look at duck calls and how they transitioned and improved over the years, you'll find that the jargon now is, is a towards, you know, a completely different direction than when I started blowing a duck call. It's the top of the food chain. Uh, you don't have to be a maestro to learn how to blow a duck call using that jargon call because of the ease of use. So I think that in itself on how we've improved the product help is helping make better duck callers out there. I think we're going to probably have you blow on one a little bit later, do some uh, introductory calls just so you guys can see when Mark Kakich gets a hold of a duck call, uh, what happens and what it sounds like. I'm putting the pressure on you. I apologize, but that's only because I can't do it myself as well as you can. So well, I'll let you show me. I'm better at talking than blowing a duck call. That's for sure. Um, Something else that I want to talk about and I want to spend some time on, uh, the Wisconsin Waterfowl Expo. And I think this is an illustration of how networking and a network really affects hunting. Um, You know, Chad Belding's got literally the most, the largest and most intensive network of anyone I've ever seen. And I know he works that network. He works so hard constantly, he's constantly working. I don't know how um, he keeps that network so intact, but the network of hunting, of knowing farmers, making yourself uh, not only uh, aware of the people who you're asking permission to hunt from, but to become, to, to know, to show interest in them, to show them appreciation. I bake pot pies, duck, goose, 
tur wild turkey pot pies and I deliver them to the farmers so they know I appreciate that. The people you get to know when you're out in the field, the people you meet sometimes when there's trucks parked at a field you pull up on, more than half the time you end up hunting with them. The network that is created is really kind of at the root of becoming a good hunter in any species. Um, because one thing you know about waterfowl hunting, the more you learn, the more you have to learn. That's how I feel about it. Every day that I'm out there, I'm learning something or seeing something that I don't know. And the big issue with us waterfowl hunters, we're always trying to overthink it. And that's part of the fun of it, overthinking it. But my uh, relationship with you, um, uh, your relationship with the Wisconsin Waterfall Expo, my relationship with the fall life has put together a phenomenal team and I'm super excited about it. Uh, the fall life is a main sponsor of the Wisconsin Waterfall uh, Expo that's coming up. So tell me about that. You're the main organizer. You're one of the main organizers of the Wisconsin Waterfall Expo, which is really the end all be all for waterfowl hunters in the midwest so you've got to get there it's at the end of august and and i'll have mark give you specific dates and locations but how did that start how did that come together and how did you i mean the fowl life is teamed up with you and there's going to be you know the fowl life sherpers traeger will be represented vortex uh, the provider spices and rubs i mean this is an event that anybody can go to hunter or not learn anything they want about waterfowl hunting and really dig in or just take it in yeah, the, the great thing is that you can be a novice or you can be a very experienced uh, waterfall hunter and there's going to be somebody and something there that will interest you or be able to answer your questions, products uh, from bolts to motors to, you know, to calls, to food. It's basically a full circle event. It's a one day event, August 27th at the Sunnyview Expo, Expo Grounds in Oshkosh. And I, I think probably in the next one to three years it's probably going to grow to you know maybe a day and a half to two days show um yeah i think it's it's a great place to go and, and kind of see the new products uh and, and get a one-on-one -on -one conversation with some of the folks that you you know you're going to want to see you're going to want to talk you to. just hit it on the head i mean a lot of people go to the expo go to expos or go to events they're interested in and they say the first thing out of their mouth is well how many booths are there going to be how many um, are you going to have calls are you going to have food products are you going to have dog uh demonstrations are you going to have boats are you can have motors yes i'm going to tell you my secret because i'm much more of a people person and i love gadgets but i'm i'm the guy who's got a lot of gadgets and needs somebody else to show me how to use them right but i'm the guy i'm telling you the biggest secret and the biggest key and the the, the biggest thing you'll get out of an expo like this is knowledge and so i go to these expos and i'm, I'm going to be working at the foul life booth and i'm i'm super excited about it they're trying to I, I i think i'm talking myself into doing a cooking demonstration there because we can talk about food here uh, in a little bit and we probably will but the key to these types of events we're going to have the premier foremost experts in waterfall hunting in the world at this event i mean you're going to be there we're going to have uh, uh dave nelson who's a state goose calling champion he's doing a demonstration for the fall life i've talked you into doing a demonstration for the fall life on the stage we're going to be cooking with the provider spices and rubs on the traeger it this is one of those places where you're going to be able to pin somebody down ask them in-depth knowledge about anything from decoy setups to flock decoys versus heads versus tails versus 
how to train a dog, where to train a dog, what mud motor works best in the marsh versus uh, open rivers. I mean, this is really uh, the offering, the priceless offering from the Wisconsin Waterfowl Expo is knowledge. Well, for $10, you're going to get the opportunity to talk to a three-time world duck calling champion, Barney Califf. And, and those of you who know Barney, he's about as easy to talk to as, as they come. Yeah, You'll be able to talk to professional dog trainers. You're going to be able to talk to someone who is, you know, maybe into mud motors or, or boats, just like you say. And I think that as you go from booth to booth, you know, I think that will only build the event. The, we're going to have the state duck and goose calling championships there. The uh, state decoy carving championships are going to be there. IWCA is, is going to have their style competition, which is basically it's it's the biggie. It's it's what every you know professional decoy carver wants to enter. The state duck, pheasant, and turkey stamp judging contest is there. So you're going to see the, the state stamps for the next year on hand. Uh, I There's so many things to do. And the other thing is there's things to do for everybody. So you'll have something that your wife or girlfriend will be interested in. If she's not really interested in hunting, you know, there'll be something there for the kids to do. You can go try out a shotgun. I just saw I just saw your daughter shake her head because you said your wife or girlfriend and the fastest growing group of new hunters is women. So maybe you can have your husband or your boyfriend tag along with you and learn about it, because these days I'm learning just as much about waterfowl hunting and hunting in general um, from women who are growing in this sport uh, as I am from men. But I'm going to tell you, folks, for look. $10 to get in? That's crazy. I will promise you, you will spend more on gasoline getting there Guaranteed. than you will <laughs> to get in. Now that's sad, but in all reality, you're not going to be able to have an event uh, like this for a $10 fee. I mean, and I expect it to be packed. I mean, when you have world duck calling champions there and experts in every field from uh, Vortex all the way through cooking implements i mean how fun does that sound the knowledge you're going to be able to gain is just incredible i'm looking personally very forward to seeing some uh different decoy setups i think very often one of the biggest arguments you have with your buddies in the field when you're trying to debate who's right and who's wrong is how the decoys set up and dave nelson who is a, a state goose calling champion his nickname is decoy dave because he has this uncanny ability of literally walking out into the spread to change decoys just when a flock is coming so if we don't see flocks then decoy dave steps out and of course the flocks bust him but at least it means something's flying yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I think this event is a marquee event, not only for Wisconsin, but for especially the upper Midwest. It's uh, it's going to be its second year and it's already people are talking about it every day. I get phone calls and emails. Uh, you can go to social media. You can, you know, you can go to the website for the event and, you know, it's hopefully going to continue to grow long after I'm done with it. And, you know, my daughter, she's, you know, always part of whatever I do because she doesn't really have a choice. But I think seeing kids of her age group then want to participate and want to volunteer lets me know that, you know, the, the work and volunteer time that I put in, that you put in, is ensuring that this sport continues for generations to come. Alyssa, your daughter is here with you. And uh, I have to ask you, Alyssa, you... 
you may not look well i guarantee you don't know this because my kids have grown up uh with a legend as a father but and they never knew it and they still don't know it today but you've grown up with a legend as a dad in the waterfall industry and i mean you're on social media i see more posts from you with hunting and fishing uh stuff than i see from him i don't even know if he's on facebook he's shaking his head no but you know what was that like coming up under somebody who had this vast knowledge and tell us because one of the things i always talk about is it's key to get new people into hunting um that is the our sport will not survive without the next generation. And that is one of the largest keys. And we're constantly trying to figure out the best way to do that. Now, you're a woman who is very involved in the outdoors right now. You know, so I'm going to ask you to pick on him a little bit. What did he do right and what did he do wrong that got you more interested or made you say, I'm going to hold off. And what advice can you give to those people who want to take their child or someone else's child, introduce, introduce them to the sport and get them out in the field? Sure. Well, to be honest, like he said, I didn't really have a choice for most of it. But as I grew older, I learned to appreciate that. Um, and I actually learned, you know, what this truly means. And it, it's not about begging and taking ducks. It's about, you know, like you said, we're the true conservationist. We get out there. You, you know, we don't focus on begging birds. We focus on, you know, population and the habitat and all of it. And truly, for me, it was just I get to spend time with my dad and my family and my friends. And um as he's gotten older, older guys get a little honory and he gets hemming and hawing. Oh, you know, we had a slow day. There's no birds. And I'm like, hey, I'm just happy to be here. I got limited time. Our season is limited enough. Obviously, growing up as a teenager, there were a few years where, you know, get a little angsty. And you're like, I don't want to do this. This is, this is dumb. That only lasted about a year or two. And I'm like, nah, I, I got to get back out there. You know, even this last Thanksgiving, we couldn't really go out in the morning. And he's like, oh, we're cutting it really close. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to go. I just want to go. We got out there, sat, didn't even have an hour. And, um, but it was worth it. Anything is worth it. And I might, you know, offend some egos out there, but like I said, it's not about bag limits. And if you're in it just for that, you're in it for the wrong reasons. I go and I'm happy just to go and sit, see the best sunrises you can, see the great, you know, places of our state. Cause like you said, we got prime waterfall flyway and habitat here and it's unique to the entire world. And I don't have too many friends that, you know, do the waterfall hunting, but I introduce them in little ways, take them out, you know, maybe take them for a ride to the Horicon, introduce them to maybe take them for a hike, show them. And I can point out all the kind of birds and things and, you know, that I can show them and teach them in little ways. And then that kind of piques interest and gets them more involved in other ways that, you know, people will grasp on and kind of want to get them into more. I think that something you hit on that's important is it, it doesn't work when you push a person into anything. Correct. So you kind of find what their interests are and say, hey, I mean, look, if I got to, we got birds landing in the backyard here and I'll say to my, uh, to my wife, there's a shovel head in the pond right now. And she'll look and say, that's a shovel head. That's a spoonbill. That's what everybody teases everybody about shooting. And it's one of the most beautiful birds you'll ever see with the white and brown and the green on the wings. I mean, they're just gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful birds. But one of the keys uh, is introducing people in an enjoyable way. And 
if you're fortunate enough to have a child, that child's going to listen to you to a certain point. And they think, man, when my kids were young, they thought I was so great. And then all of a sudden they hit this wall where they're like, wait a minute, dad's not right all the time. And that's, that's when they kind of took a step off. And I think the biggest key that I did in order to not ruin hunting for them was not force them to go with me during that period. Correct. And that's something that I always can uh, commend my dad. He never really forced me and pushed me to do anything, whether, he, you know, how much he tells me that I'm voluntold to do stuff. I've learned to enjoy it and I've always done it at my own will. And, you know, he just takes whatever time I can give him, you know, that life allows me to give, I give. And to be honest, I've learned to really appreciate that I truly do not only have one of the best duck callers in the state, but just one of the best, not only waterfall mentors, but just life mentors that I get to learn from. And now I get to learn and appreciate that, you know, on my own will, but he never pushed me to do anything I didn't want to do. Well, and you, you're very young yet. How old are you? I, I know be, I'm not supposed to ask that. Nah, it's okay. I'll be 26 in August. Yeah, so you're 26 years old. When did you go from, I go hunting with my dad to being confident enough to get out on your own and try waterfowling? Because I, a lot of the pictures I see, you're out, you're just out there. You're out there hunting, um, setting up decoy spreads on boats. At what point did you have enough confidence that you had learned enough from him that you knew this was something for you? as a person, regardless of what you had been taught previously. So he got me started out in the field young. Like I remember one of my first kind of big duck hunting memories. I was in like second grade and sorry, mom, but dad let me play hooky for the day and we got to go duck hunting all day and it was great. Um, and so, you know, it all started from I was a very young age, but once I got through that kind of like early teenage angsty years where I learned the appreciation on my own terms when I got older, that's when it was a really big push. And so now, you know, if he's kind of slowing down, he just wants to do things for fun. I'm the one nagging him like, hey, come on, let's go, let's go. You know, so it was really probably about my mid teenage years, later teenage years, even till today where now I'm I'm asking and begging to go out and do stuff that is exactly what I'm talking about when I'm saying you have to nurture in a way the next generation it does not have to be your biological child I want to point that out I've I hunt with several people and I have to tell you some of the first time hunters I have taken have been women in the age of 35 to 50 and I I I mean, I have been with them and I have had certain instances where the first thing they tell me is, oh, geez, I don't know if I'm going to be able to shoot and kill something. And I say, that's okay. You don't have to. We both got licenses here. Mentored hunting in the state of Wisconsin is now that both people can have a firearm. So you can hunt, you can have a hunter and a mentor and never have to uh, the mentor doesn't have to pull the trigger, but the craziest thing is in the specific example I'm talking about is the second that goose or duck hit the corner of the skyline, this person was reaching over the top of me for their, for their shotgun saying, can I shoot it yet? Can I shoot it yet? No, it's got to get closer because you'll never know if you're a person who can get out there and harvest and take something from the field to the table unless you try it. And there could be a person who comes with you and sits there and says, I don't know that I'm going to be the, ever going to be the guy or, or the person who's going to pull the trigger on something. And that's perfectly okay. Because if you're going to the store 
and buying a hamburger or buying a chicken breast from the store, there is a much, much more satisfying feeling when you're taking that organic food from the elements that's frankly lived free its entire life and you're going to put it on the table for sustainability. And I think that that can't, cannot be taught. That can only be experienced. Exactly. And one of the biggest lessons that he's taught me ever since I was a kid all the time, he would just say, just keep shooting. Honestly, don't be afraid to shoot and miss. I miss, he misses, everybody does. And if you don't miss, you're not hunting enough. And he said, I mean, as classic as it is, practice does make perfect. And the more you do it, the more you learn. And once you hit that target and that mark, like you said, it is the most gratifying feeling that you can, you know, do this task and provide for yourself or your family and friends. You like to eat ducks and geese? Absolutely. How do you like to eat them? Ooh, depends who's making them. I will say dad's, dad's pretty decent. Um, That's because he copies all my recipes. That, that beat, that's goose stroganoff is very good. It is yeah, one of my favorites. I will admit. I have to say, um, I can't, I have so many people who constantly say to me, oh, goose, no way. I'd rather eat, you know, shoe leather. And I'm telling you, I think if I had shoe leather and put it in the, on the Traeger long enough wrapped in bacon, I might be able to eat it myself. But one of the keys to enjoying this lifestyle is certainly bringing it from the field to the table. And that's something also. So you've got all these different elements you can introduce people to. There is the outdoor element, being out in nature, enjoying sunrises. One of the most exciting things to me on earth is watching the marsh wake up or watching the woods or the corner of the field wake up. Uh, It's unbelievable how we're able to... uh, experience things that everybody sleeps through on a daily basis when you're out there and that marsh is waking up the sounds and i have to be honest i mean i i've gotten better at duck identification and sounds but you there's sounds you hear in the marsh that you do not know what they are and i every time my wife and daughters laugh because i say that's that's a chupacabra it's got to be so um i want to talk to you real quick though Alyssa, about the learn to hunt program in wisconsin Um, that is something that we do here in this state and many other states have kind of copied us a little bit. Um, when I was in the legislature, when I spent my time in the legislature, spent a great deal of time, uh, working on the mentored hunting bills and the bills that allow people to get out there and learn to hunt without having to have had so much experience. And I want to point out accidents among learn to hunt and mentored hunts are at virtually zero by comparison to, quote, experienced hunters who have their license. The Learn to Hunt program, the Mentored Hunting program, and we we got all the criticism at the beginning of how dangerous this was going to be, taking young people or taking inexperienced people. When they are with a mentor is a safer program, uh, and I think the Learn to Hunt has really turned around the, the opportunities for new hunters. Absolutely. I always think that, you know, no matter what you're doing, one of the best ways, if not the best way to learn is to do. And that's what these learn to hunt and these mentored programs allow you to do. You get to go out and go, you know, with experienced hunters and experienced waterfowlers and learn from the best. And you learn the most safest and ethical ways possible that you have someone right there with you. And, you know, like the law says, there's only one gun between you. So it's not just the free for all. 
overall. And it's it's not just a hunt. It's a true from start to finish learning experience. And so the waterfall learned to hunt that my father's put on in Horicon for years now. Um, when I was a kid, I think the first year I did it, I was about 12. Um, that was a big learning experience for me because that was the age before the mentored uh, hunt laws came in where you had to be 12 in order to harvest any game. Um, so that's when I really started to learn a lot of like the ins and outs. Uh, but you get to learn first hands on and the waterfall program, the learn to hunt, you don't go, they don't just shove you out in the field. You have to sit through a whole classroom day and you got to learn the basics and learn, you know, basic laws, ethics and everything before you go out. In fact, in the state of Wisconsin, we have uh, the, the learn to hunt hunters can hunt in an area that no hunters can. They can hunt in the preserve. And that, I mean, Mark, you were telling me about that, that to be able to, to hunt on a learn to hunt program in an area that is so rich with waterfowl, that is literally off limits to all hunter hunt other hunters. I mean, what a key way to get into something like that. It's the best way. And you know, to a new hunter harvest, isn't necessarily number one on their list, but the opportunity to potentially harvest and to be in a good environment is always what is what people say that they want to see on their first trip. And being in the federal refuge of the Horicon Marsh, you are in no better place to have that opportunity. And, you know, one of the things that we stress in class before we actually hit the field is, is, Pay attention to your surroundings. Pay attention to everything that you see from the sunrise to the sunset, to the bald eagle, to the great horned owl, you know, pay attention to the cranes, the swans, whatever you see, make some mental notes so you have something to create a memory with. And that's one of the things that, you know, is part of our program as well that, you know, my wife, Jen, you know, she talks about is making your trip a memory, you know, take a couple pictures that you have your scrapbook with and, and, and keep your mental memory fresh in your mind. It's one of the mantras I live by in my entire life. Life is about experiences, not things. Now, things can definitely make your experiences better. But life is about experiences, not things. And your daughter, Alyssa, hit on something. She talked about the former 12-year-old age that was required to start somebody on the hunting path in Wisconsin. You couldn't harvest. used to be you couldn't harvest in Wisconsin until you were 12 years old. Man, I hate to tell you this, but these kids coming up now they're completely proficient on i call it the three by seven the three inch by seven that is the telephone they are glued to their phones they know every nuance every in and out and by the time they're 12 in very many cases it's it's tough to pry them away from that you gotta grab them earlier than that if you can I'm not saying it's ever too late because it's not. You know, I didn't start hunting till I was 39 years old and I'm 51. Now, it took a very steep parabolic curve and I went into it full bore. But I'm telling you, getting kids away from the, 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 the two-dimensional three-by-seven before they're 12, I think is a key to the mentored hunting and a key to the learn to hunt in Wisconsin. Well, one of the things, I mean, let's be realistic. We're not going to make that phone disappear, right? We're not going to make that iPad disappear. So I think trying to find ways to keep them engaged by using that device is another way to keep them interested in the sport and it's hunting, fishing, and guess what? Listening to 
to the Follow Life podcast can be done on their phone, right? Waterfall identification can be done on their phone. Learning how to blow a duck or a goose call can be done on their phone. Learning who the landowner is or where they are in the field or the marsh can be done on their phone. And engaging them on the different aspects of what the phone can do for them, they're going to find themselves never bored by using their phone, trying to make themselves either a better hunter, a better fisherman, a better trapper, a better person for the outdoors and conservation. And what I can tell you there, if you're sitting in a, in a layout blind in the corner of a field, or you're on a duck boat in the Horicon marsh, you're going to have a hell of a lot better photographs, picture opportunities, uh, Instagrammable moments than you are when you're sitting on your couch or in your bed uh, sleeping at that time. And this is one of the things that's become so fantastic. You know, my life has gone from film cameras. You know, we had to take your film to a photo mat. A lot of you younger listeners don't even know what a photo mat is. You used to have to take your pictures and take your reel of film to, to this little kiosk in the Kmart parking lot where they developed your pictures and you got them back a week later. Now you have the ability to record all this stuff as it's happening or right after it happened. And the most beautiful pictures I have on my reel, and there's no cost. You just, you can have as many as you want, but that sunrise on the Horicon Marsh is going to afford you, uh, uh, you know, the kids will say it's all about the gram. You're going to get a lot more Instagram moments out in the field than you're ever going to get while you're sleeping in. Absolutely. And, you know, the great another great thing about the event is that we take everybody, you know, we can take kids we can take adults we can take folks that have challenges you know the it is a no restriction hunt you know veterans we've taken folks in wheelchairs that have significant mobility issues and this year hopefully we're going to take some folks with you you know i i think that being placed in an environment of low to no stress and no expectation other than we're just going to have a good day and see what you know our great state has to offer the u.s fish and wildlife service and the department of natural resources uh really helped put on a great event uh the friends of horicon marsh the, uh, the federal refuge they support this as well i mean we supply the ammunition which is not easy to come by we we buy a lunch Everything that you need, with the exception is of a federal duck stamp if you're over 16, is given to you either by the state or by the event. I want to talk about something that a lot of folks are kind of shy to talk about. And that is when you are in the waterfowl community and you're a huge hunter um, and you're out there every day, to many people in the waterfowl uh, industry, to many hunters, to, to, to the guy who only gets a chance to hunt once a month, the DNR is a dirty word. And I think one of the keys to making it not a dirty word is podcasts like this. We've had former chief warden uh, Todd Schaller on the podcast. It was a phenomenal podcast. And we asked him really tough questions about, you know, confrontations between wardens and folks in the field. 
and I'm, I'm here to tell you, and, and, and I know you're very involved with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, with the Department of Natural Resources and the cons conservation efforts that uh, are quasi-governmental in many ways. But it's podcasts like this and it's relationships like this that will help change the landscape and the mentality of if I'm in the field, the warden's my enemy versus if I'm in a field, the warden is there to help facilitate. And I think changes in the minds need to happen on both sides. Don't get me wrong. But when you have people like Todd Schaller, people like you, who are emphasizing to those in the law enforcement community, in the, in the DNR community, that hunters are good stewards of the land as well, their perceptions change. And then when you have hunters who see a warden in the field who's got a smile on his face and he's checking a bag limit, which is his job, and he's congratulating the hunters on what they did get, those attitudes are gonna change. So I think communication is the key to build that bridge. People, you know, the general public, they don't understand a lot of the the hunting community or what the hunting community has done for everyone. The you know, rules and regulations when it comes to waterfall, they weren't developed by non-hunters or anti-hunters. They were developed by waterfall hunters that noticed, listen, for this sport to continue, we need to make changes. And that was, you know, the elimination of market hunting, you know, 1934, right? So the, the federal duck stamp with Ding Darling, you know, they realized that the skies, you know, they once were black, well, now they were gray. So what are we going to do to protect? What are we going to do to enhance? And in Wisconsin, Wisconsin plays a key piece in a lot of the uh, migratory architecture of rules and regulations and you know in the state I mean we were the concrete foundation of uh, now the name the name's skipping me but when it comes to water rights right Wisconsin and the Horicon Marsh played a key piece in developing you know who has permission to be on what water? You know, do I need to keep my feet wet to be able to hunt or fish here? Yeah, we've seen a lot of regulation changes in Wisconsin. Some of them have been overwhelming changes like the not having to punch a physical paper tag in your wallet every time you shot a goose, but before you touched it. And then you had to call it in within 24 or 48 hours. I don't remember anymore. Those are gone. And I think deregulation you know, when you say deregulation, it's it's kind of a, a dirty word to, you know, law enforcement because they think, wait a minute, wait a minute. But in all reality, there are so many laws and rules that govern waterfowl hunting. The easier you can make it to follow, the easier you can make it to follow those rules, the more people will follow those rules. And before we wrap up, uh, let's go back and talk about a little recap for the Wisconsin Waterfowl Expo, which is coming up. Give us the details on that and what we can expect. So the big thing is it's August 27th at the Sunnyview Expo Grounds uh, in Oshkosh. Basically, that's just on the north side of the Butamore Bridge. And I think that it would benefit everybody to come. And the other thing is that the $10 fee that you give, not one organization reaps the benefit of that $10. That $10 goes back into marketing and exposure for the event and then the scholarship funds that we're going to give through 
the Waterfall Expo. Yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. World Duck Calling champions are going to be there. Uh, you're going to have cooking demonstrations, calling demonstrations, mud motors, decoy setups, uh, Benelli firearms will be there. It's going to be phenomenal. August 27th in Oshkosh, the sunny sunny view expo view grounds. Yep. Expo grounds. You got to be there. And boy, you know what? I, what I've decided is I'm going to make you come back because I'm going to make you come back and we're going to blow the jargon uh, duck call. Uh, the jargon megaphore. We're going to do an actual separate podcast on just some calling techniques and some teaching some folks on the podcast. And we'll try to figure out a way that we can shoot video of that as well. Um, you will have the nice, the, the ducks behind you coming into the spread of all different kinds in the background, but we're going to have you come back and do some demonstrations. So make sure you, you tune into these podcasts because the information we're going to give you is going to help you become a, a better waterfowl hunter. If you're brand new to it, you're going to learn how to get into it. And that's what we're going to talk about with you the next time you come back, Kakich. Everybody, thank you very much for listening. It's been an awesome, awesome podcast. Appreciate you being here. Bring in your daughter, Alyssa. You've been listening to the Follow Life Podcast Midwest Series. I'm your host, Joel Playfish. We'll see you next time. <laughs>